0: From building companies to burning out, this is the really, really.
1: Season two, or chapter, I like to think it was chapter two. Chapter two. Because I do think this is an evolving play, or, or, you know, story arc of a movie where we started with a conversation where basically you and I just vented and some of it made sense and some of it was true, and then we had to recant a whole bunch of shit. Um, And I think that this is, we started on a conversation, we ended on the American dream. And I think that's a really appropriate place to pick up on where we're starting this one from. And I know, um, because it's relevant to everybody. And I think that at this time, both in company building, state of capitalism, just overall feel in the country that the American dream now is really fragmenting all over the place. And I think not to judge it, but to explore it both in the view of company building, local ecosystems, but really to keep that frame of reference as we start there and see where we get.
0: Right. And I mean, talking about income inequality being on a trend of increasing, like we're talking about mechanisms that can potentially equalize that, or at least maybe the only mechanism that, that Americans have available to them short of like political revolution. Sure. Sure. So I'm, I'm interested in exploring that as well. I mean, it's really like kind of like you said, you know, we started out with the first episode in the last chapter talking about the differences between opinions, between uh, entrepreneurs and investors. And we ended up talking about the American dream and we didn't know it was going to go there. No. Same with this season. Like this is a journey. We are Seeing where we're going to go in some of these conversations, and we're going to be a little bit more organized about it this time around. Probably, maybe be a little bit more consistent, but at the same time, this is this is art. This is not necessarily science. And we're you know we're trying to we're trying to see what we can discover that we didn't know. Yes, and and that requires us to go off scripts. Another thing that's going to be a little bit different about this season, or at least about this very first episode, is the place where I'm at is very much one where I'm seeking new information and I'm really, I'm really in a place where a lot of the opinions that I've formed strongly are being rethought I'm trying to find more opportunities to get away from information avoidance and I'm trying to find I mean it, it's made my it's made my LinkedIn posts a lot more depressing I know but <laughs> it's also it's also I think an important journey for me to like just really analyze like what 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 things am I doing wrong or what things am I taking for granted that other people think differently I really want to get like a high resolution understanding of like where i am and you know and i and as i do that i keep finding like pockets of things that i've i've taken for granted things that i've assumed and so i'm really looking forward to this chapter of the really really as a vessel for me to to find some of those answers and to to learn More about what I'm missing, and I think that'll make me a better entrepreneur and a better person.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that when we started the first uh, the first chapter of it was really about let's not see where we're right, let's challenge where we think we're right, and see if it holds. And I think that we, you know, we did that to some extent. I think, you know, as a as a recap, you know, we started, we took some real shot. We just kind of made at least I made some broad sweeping assumptions about what I don't like about founders and entrepreneurships and relative to this ecosystem. And then we got, you know, we talked about some contrarian founders. You and I talked about mental health. We got into, and I think really was a seminal episode for us was just TM and understanding. I think he brought a perspective to all of this that really made us both think like the American dream really does differ person to person and situation to situation. And I agree with you on this one that I think this one, especially with the life change I'm going through. Um, I, I also look for that, like just to to find out how to be and not so set in my own ways in general and to, to be open-minded to this generation that's coming up below me. I think that's what I struggle with the most and just in really trying to grasp on how I can be a leader for that generation too. And I, and to do that, I have to abandon or sort of rethink things that I have you know built a fortress on in terms of a foundation. Yeah. I think that what... I love about where we got from the first chapter, Dom, is that when I started reading your LinkedIn posts, not to say that I ever assumed that you did not have a, a high emotional intelligence. I didn't think that. But what I think now is that you are literally starting to pull the curtains back on things that are challenging and painful, and we all have to do it. And I really appreciate where you've come. What you're striving to do in terms of just self and understand like, you know, where you are, you know, I shouldn't say where you are now, but just, you know, that you could appear all over the pendulum wherever, you know, wherever you can do good or do well with. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs>
0: I mean, if, if we're going to emphasize it like that, then I'm going to have to guard against performative humility. Um, <laughs> so we'll have to look out for that. <laughs> Maybe give Brett a buzzer or something that he can hit when I
1: <laughs> cross that One line. One thing we, did, we realized is we miss Brett because Brett is, you know, as we talked about how, you know, should we get our own studio? We keep coming back here. It's got a vibe. It's got a, it's, it's become sort of a, I, I was really excited today driving over here to, to do this and it wasn't, I didn't have that excitement. It was more apprehension and fear on the first time. And I realized that through, you know, a brief break was the feedback we got from people. It wasn't, maybe it wasn't tens of thousands, but there were people out there that said, hey, when will you do another one? And to me, that was the metric of success, even at, on a micro level. Like if this meant something to one person, this was worth it because it meant something to me and it meant something to you. And we both have, are using what we've learned. And now this, you know, in the second chapter, I just, as we start with the American dream, I'm just I'm just curious and beside myself to see where we're going to go with this one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you want to pick up on the American
1: dream? Yeah. Do you it, have new insights about that well, since we talked to TM As the American dream is sort of, Intimidating in terms of like just tackling that. I can tell you what I love, what I found so interesting in this break, and is just this feeling of of almost like anarchy or this revolt energy that's going on in the country. And I, and I realize that there are destructive elements. Specifically, one event that really had me cheering and buying coffee mugs was you know the Reddit traders, Wall Street bets traders taking on hedge funds, because what I love about that, whether whether or not they did or however it worked out. I mean, there's a whole bunch of funny business. I just love one, that their guy named Roaring Kitty went in front of the Senate and said, <laughs> I am not a cat and I like the stock. I also like that they took it from, oh gosh. Uh, what, was the, what was the movement that where they just camped out on Wall Street? Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street. I love that they took, they did, I, the thing I don't, I, I realize that these movements and, and rallies and protests are important. Oftentimes though, I don't like them because I don't think they lead to anything. And what I loved about this particular situation was they got like 1.3 million people, regular retail consumers to take on the hedge funds at their own game and won for a while. I mean, they had Melvin Capital busted. And I love that story because they not only made their point, but they hammered it where it counts. And that's the pocketbooks. And I think that that, you know, I, lo- I just love that that vibe of taking on the big guys. That's why we start companies. We start them because, you know, at some point we want to take on the big guys. Right. Well, something that I think there are a lot of
0: wins and losses in that. And, and at this point, we're a little bit too far past the media cycle for me to go in too far into depth about what I was thinking about it while it was happening. But something that I like about events like that is that it... You know, I mean that educated a generation on how this stuff works, right? Yeah. And and gave people a data point to see that like, in fact, the world is not run by a small cabal of people, but in fact we do have collective opportunity to make change and and these levers are there, even if it takes a lot of us
1: to move them. Yeah. It's um it's it just that was a, a fantastic I just think a fantastic event. Now I would argue the other side of this that I think we have you know, last couple decades of Wall Street, as we talk, you, know, you mentioned the death of capitalism in a lot of ways In some, somewhere in between the first chapter and now, or that cap- capital has is at an existential risk. And I think that while I, I, I mean, I think there's there's so much evidence to support that. If you just look at, you know, what the collective we have built in terms of crypto, NFTs, a whole new way to sort of, you know, potentially make money. What I don't, what I'm really nervous and scared about is this has become a synthetic casino. We are, if you think about it, this money going into going into these companies, it's not going into the companies. We're betting on something going up or betting on something going down. And that is speculation that is so dangerous. I mean, and now we've, we've ramped that up with crypto. We bet people buy crypto because of the assumption that tomorrow it will be worth more than it is today. And in the 08 mortgage crisis, all that money that was in all these uh, CDOs and stuff that wasn't finding its way into homes to help the homeowner, right? It was so much synthetic money that was betting against a trend or for a trend. And, I, and I'm really nervous about that as we get into Robin Hood. You're right, we are, tr- we are teaching younger people some things. but are we teaching them the, are we teaching them the fundamentals? Can you bypass the fundamentals? Right. Well, to what extent do the
0: fundamentals matter when everybody has an impact? Like, I mean, arguably, even bo- even before Robinhood, stocks and securities in large part, you know, there has been an element of popularity contest to them, right? And to some extent, like public opinion has a big impact on, has had a big impact on stock for a long time, regardless of the value of those shares. What I wonder is like, what comes next after that? I mean, I was, I was talking to, um, Russ Stoddard, who is a big advocate in town of of B corporations, public benefit yeah. companies, and he talks about he talks about a triple bottom line for his company. Right, you've right. got right the benefit of profit, you've got the benefit of social good, and and the benefit of of the people who work at the company. Right, and they see each of those as being important parts of being successful. I think that maybe this maybe this notion that the value of something doesn't necessarily have to be tied directly to its fiscal bottom line could bring up an opportunity for us to create like a B Corporation stock market where the environmental benefits, the, the environmental- The stock is
1: measured against the environmental benefits, not not the earnings and, and price to shares and- Right,
0: right. Stock is measured and and if not like on an environmental impact, maybe there are a lot of other like metrics or, or things that we could look at. But if we can quantify those things and put them on a chart, then then, you know, that might be as good for this generation as
1: revenues and, and earnings calls. You're right in the way that, again, it, you know, for whatever reason, we are a little bit apart in age, but we do our worldviews were formed differently. And I think that so, and so I do feel sort of old, saying you know, I, I feel like the you know the the Great Depression era person who's you know cry, you know Chicken Little and crying wolf and saying hey look out it's gonna it's gonna fall. But I think what you're saying there's truth in that, and that is the generation that's coming up, and I don't mean just investors, but in terms of founders and just people in general. You know the the set of ideals and and values that they hold true, whether they all hold on to those as they get a little bit older. They're relevant now. And I do think that that matters because you are talking about a, on mass a population of people that can change value systems because they are, need their, the ones that they want to value, not necessarily maybe the ones that, you know, an older generation valued. And that's caused well, partially caused a lot of different, you know, friction and division in the country to some extent. You could probably zoom out and say, hey, like we have, a, we have a upcoming generations of kids and people that see the world differently for whatever reason. You can't say they're right or wrong because that's their worldview, right? It's just, you can't say mine's right or wrong, but it's interesting. And I wonder, as we talk about speculation on valuations for companies, you know, it's at what point does... Are we, are we just gonna, do we guess on, how do we come to valuations? And I, I guess I look at it through that lens because I have a very old school way of looking at it, which is a lot like you know, a private equity company where we're looking at trailing 12 months revenue or multiples on, on acquisition or something, historical data points that I can kind of look at and say, okay, this feels right. But what if we're moving into a place that, I've just read an article about a <laughs> two couple guys to their credit, they, they bought a Banksy they took high res pictures of it and then they burned it. And the hmm. NFT, they that non fungible token, they put that digital print online and on that trade, I think they bought the Banksy for a hundred and let's say hundred and fifty grand. And they made, like, within days, like five, six X on that trade by burning it, taking a picture of it, and then selling that picture. Right. What what a time to be alive. Like what that is so <laughs> crazy. Like that I mean and so awesome in a lot of ways. Like the American dream, I think in a lot of ways, is tied to just the in you know the innovative spirit, at least for Americans. Like there are, as much as we want to talk about how we should change or alter a free capital market to kind of fit different ideals and stuff. At the same point, like that same free capital market allows this to happen in a lot of ways. And right. I think that's awesome. Right. You know, I,
0: and I think there are there are perils to, like, trying to adapt an established framework to a new trend. Right? There might be a new framework for this, and you know, you 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 invoke art, and art has always been speculation, right? Like, regardless of yeah. of the actual value of the raw materials, there sometimes, regardless of even the talent of the artist itself, like the story that's told behind it is where the value comes the from, right? And and so, you know, in in a lot of cases, there. There are frameworks for speculation to have value that have not crippled our economy. But taking it back to the American dream, I, th- I think that getting man, talking to TM and and hearing hearing stories of immigrants since then has really enforced this concept that like hearing immigrant stories are so crucial yeah. to to our appreciation of the American dream. And you know, in a lot of ways, you know, certainly we have to, I I think we have to redefine that dream. I mean, when, when people were talking the most about, about that concept and popularizing it, they were also probably talking about manifest destiny, which today is, is also, you know, arguably like a, a, a campaign of genocide. Um, <laughs> there, there, there are more ways to think about that in 2021 than the history books that probably both of us read going through school would would espouse, but. You know, figuring out what that means for us and figuring out how the American dream ties into the rest of the world is is a big part of it. Like, is it the, is the most important thing that we create opportunities for the people around us, or is the most important thing that we create opportunities for people who need them most?
1: Right. Yeah. You know, another thing that I have, at least in my own personal life, that I have really found a great sense of purpose and and I don't know, just I guess overall, I've been able to find joy and excitement and optimism in a way that a lot of people haven't and and i think you know with all that's going on in the world since we've had our last one there's a lot of stuff that's happened with like capital rides like it's been absolutely craziness and i think that you know like i would love you know i want to i want to see a world that doesn't or a country that doesn't depend so much on putting a party as, as their identity and and really seeking out like down the ballot not seeing it in blue or red, looking at the initiatives, looking at like, and, and being able to use that lens instead of uh, I vote my team, boom. Because I think that we are, you talk about capital being at an ex- ex- existential crisis. To me, it feels like the two-party system is at an existential crisis. Like, I, and it deserves to be. It absolutely deserves to be. And again, we come, we came into this project on different sides of the spectrum and it, it's really cool to see also unanimously agree on that today. Where it's like, this is it, it's a dumb way to do it. Right. It's herd thinking, and and again, it's four in four years, one party gets to rule over the other party, and that party's mad. And I and I can see where systemically where that division's coming from, especially with a generation that's coming up that dep- that you know prioritizes tolerance and and things that green new deal that too. Reagan era Republicans so look like that they don't you know they don't know economics and I, I don't have answers for this at all I just know that I find personally so much relief and just optimism in the fact that if I strip away all the things that I think are negative there will have I just feel like if people are taking on if reddit traders are taking on Wall Street and almost beating them like it feels what I'm excited about is that maybe someone that that same, energy and that same kind of just point of view can really take down things that I think are holding everybody back. And I really do mean just a generally identifying as red or blue. I just, that to me now seems, you know, rather simple minded. Right, right. I think so too. And really there's, you know,
0: I mean, when I, when I was most, when I was most red, which was in my teenage years, you know, when I was growing up in a, in a small town, I I thought like how could people how could how could Democrats possibly think that way right like how could they possibly think that that's the best way to be thinking about these things, and then when I was most blue, which was probably uh, probably right at uh, right about when Donald Trump was being inaugurated, that was probably the peak of my of Bluey. my blue outrage blueness of my blueness yeah. You know, I, I had, of course, the other thought and then, you know, and then I started a company, which actually ended up failing, but a, a company to try to lay out like, okay, here's what the media on the left is saying. I love here's that what project, the media, by the way. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the Unite News Projects. Um, Here's what the people on the left are saying. Here's what the people on the right are saying. And here are the facts that everybody agrees on. Sure. Like, and so, you know, thinking of that as a concept of how people could ingest their news was really interesting to me. Something something that I learned is that, in fact, that concept doesn't really have a market. There's there yeah, there, there, there are there are so few people who identify as like radical moderates that <laughs> there's a lot more money in polarizing and selling to selling to your tribe, which of course, like these, the, the, the GOP and the DNC, like these two political parties are businesses that have spent, you know, in, in, in one case decades and in another case, more than a century working on the mechanisms of these. And they've created a way they've, you know, eventually created a way for people to see a complex Myriad of issues as falling on right or left to the point that everything has to be pulled into that framework. And, you know unfortunately even what those organizations are doing on the ground is they're seeing that they're trending towards losing a senate seat and they're picking up a new coalition of people like you know what what if what if conservative immigrants in this county would support uh you know would would support a representative that that has you know these beliefs like they're building those coalitions and and sort of playing a game of um they're kind of tracking each other on the opposite side of the bush that is the yeah. Senate and and all of that. But people don't identify first with what their core values are. They they identify first with what political party speaks to them, and yeah. then they adopt the other values that that go into that coalition. Confirmational and bias
1: and and really tribe thinking. Right. I think I think you're right. And I look so I think for this you know this chapter of this you know really random podcast that doesn't have really a defined audience, that we have done things. If you were to write a book about how to build a podcast, we would be breaking every single step-by-step rule. In fact, I looked today just to kind of confirm that. <laughs> and Brett probably could lay it like this. If, you know, I think that there's something, there's some magic to this and some art and just the fact that like, look, we are open to not, we're, we're willing to tackle any subject. This, at least at this moment, isn't about us. You know, no grandstanding. And I think you know where I want to set this next up and bring it back into where we started was really just the the state of venture capital now since when we talked before and an ecosystem and what I've I've become really optimistic in technology enabled funds and I, I won't grandstand on the one that uh, the name of the one that I'm I'm really really close to and and believe in but the ability to remove biases or to remove, you know, in the early, in early stage investing, you are investing in people more so than anything and, and team makeups. And, you know, with technology and AI that's now driving and able to, you know, spot team patterns and stuff and bet on certain profiles in a certain vertical or whatever. I think that is so exciting, the money ball effect to that, because again, it, well, theoretically it removes skin color and background because they don't there's no like you don't look at resumes right you're just looking at the what makes matt matt and what makes dom dom in terms of what what we how we think communicate and react to things what is our you know our drive look like where do we fall on an alpha sketch on a scale like that kind of stuff is really exciting because one thing i believe in and i've seen since since we took a break really realized was that if you can look at that there really is a two class system and it really breaks down to labor and capital, right? There's employees and then there's owners. And you need both of them because you need capital and you need laborers. But something that I heard um, from Chamath Palihapitiya, if you're ever curious, was that poverty in a lot of ways is a disease. And the way we think about that, the way that we, you know, like, a world where you can have a little bit of ownership in the company that you work for. Because if you just, if you're just working for a salary at some point, that that's not financial freedom. And and I don't have any solves for it. I just think that I feel like we're getting to a place now where if we can look at poverty as a disease, it's no different than, you know, any other disease out there. Like if we can look at poverty that way and say, okay, where does this stem from? Then again, entrepreneurship begins to to mobilize those classes in a lot of ways. I was also, you know, about to have a son, so I'm I'm feeling optimistic in general. But I think that there is a lot to be excited about now. That I maybe you know maybe I didn't give credit to last chapter. Right.
0: Well, That's a great realization.
1: Yeah, it was good to take that time out. And I think one thing we want to kind of level set here is that. You know we want to look at this in in chapters or pieces in blocks of three or you know five episodes because we don't want to get this to a point where we just want to hear ourselves talk we want to have engaging contact i think more importantly we need that time to kind of step back digest reflect and say okay hold on like where were we wrong what new fresh realizations can we bring to this um and, and hopefully for the the people that did want us to come back like that we can kind of give them a little bit more optimistic message than maybe we did last time
0: yeah yeah absolutely so where do you think this journey can go in this
1: season oh man in this chapter sorry a, a season chapter we'll figure it out yeah where do i think it can go well i think more i'll step back and say things that i want to highlight more i want to bring in more perspectives i want to you know i'd like to see one where we have some guest hosting where you know we, we switch up the different kind of dynamics between hosting. And I wanna talk a lot more or as much more about mental health and keep on that, but I do wanna keep, I think the American dream is such an interesting place to start relative to what's going on in the world right now. Where could it go? Look Dom, I mean, we could be canceled at any <laughs> moment, but I like to think that a balance between life, open and honest discord, putting you know putting red and blue aside and just seeking for this season, instead of instead of just bitching, let's look for solutions. Right, like talk about things we can do. You know, both as an entrepreneur system, as like as a using of you know venture capital. Like, and I would like to get somewhere this season. Where last season I felt like when you know, I was awestruck by TM's interpretation of the American dream, and it made me realize that we need to be solution minded. Yeah and if you know then this might be a good medium just to talk about them talking about solutions and entrepreneurship
0: i mean the the investment firm that that you mentioned instead of using like identities or or pitches necessarily as their defining factor using using profiles and using like you know here just blind here are the here are the players who are coming into this startup you know, that kind of innovation and, you know, in the notion that that not only might produce better outcomes for the investors, but might also level the playing field for disadvantaged classes. Yes. That is exactly the kind of entrepreneurship that I want to talk about. Awesome. Like, I want to find those intersections of like, where can we solve a problem and like leverage the mechanism of capitalism to actually do what it was meant to do in the first place, which is to improve the lives of people. And you know, and, and I said, like what I said before is, is, um, you know capitalism is in, in an existential crisis and if we can't find a way to make it work for us then then it's going to have another identity
1: crisis yeah it is and i and i in our i've already mentioned you know to the to the founders and sort of managing partner of that that I'd love to have them on this this season to really because i think that is what what they're doing why they're doing it and how they came to it is totally worth unpacking um, the, the ecosystem they're going to be representing is is larger than ours. But in terms of like a growth trajectory, you know, it looks like, you know, we per capita are a little, you know, a little higher. We've had more big exits here, but they don't focus on the Valley or New York or Boston. Like that's part of their thesis is they stay away from it. And they really are giving, starting to 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 get a conversation out about, Uh, ecosystems and and founders that don't come from these other ecosystems, which by the way is the one we live in,
0: right? And that that again is like another point where we might have an opportunity to innovate through the really, really. Yes. We're, you know, we can maybe offer a lens of like where are the advantages in the markets that do not dominate the news cycle, yep. and how can we leverage those advantages or enhance them or create them if if they need to happen. So I'm looking forward to that. I know we've got I know we've got Jeff Reynolds, who who we both hold in high regard, very high a lot of
1: people in this ecosystem hold him up he has the ultimate respect and his opinions probably differ from a lot of people right which i love about him he's he's very contrarian and he
0: he always comes with you know i i think he's always taking sort of his own his own ego out of the equation and always looking for opportunities to solve problems just like fundamentally in the first place and i think i think a lot of a lot of tactical ideas come out of pretty much
1: every conversation that i have with him i i think one i totally agree and i think one thing i want to i've i've now abandoned you know my my search and curiosity around studio models and funds is i felt one thing that stuck out last season chapter whatever was the nativist talk and you know what i went through and but i realized i found myself only having been here a couple, almost two years, already harboring that to new things, and I and I found some of that in just you know as we kind of looked at the ecosystem. And I think you know really I criticized it a lot more. I found myself also having these nativist feelings of you know this, and very much in the same time, people were being nativist to me. So I think as we move forward, I just think that's like you said in the in the in the last season was that's about having something that someone would want. I think that this is, in my opinion, one of the most special places to live, bar none, for reasons that don't have to do with our ecosystem or access to capital, like this is just a great life. And I've lived on both coasts. I've you know come from the middle. And I don't know, just a profound gratefulness for what we have here and really trying to, trying to do our best to try to protect it and, and, and make it better. Uh, I think another, as we get through this, there's more like social topics. I think we can kind of look through an entrepreneurial lens on and maybe find solutions to, or at least discuss, you know, we talk about homeless crisis. There's so many things that I think are still solvable here in Boise that maybe aren't solvable in LA because we're still, we're still small enough where, you know, really good upstream solutions are circling here. And I want to I want to be more mindful of that and tap into that. And I also want to expand the reach of the really really to a national perspective right we're gonna have to have to figure out how to have a remote guest we don't know how to have a remote guest i'm scared i'm nervous because you've got me addicted to sound quality <laughs> and so has brett and so it is uh you know again i think this is going to be uh, this is, i kind of knew where the last one was going to go because i had in mind okay we'll talk to these people on this i don't know here i know that this one i'm want I'm going to we're going to throw things into this that don't make any sense and just see if we can get to the you know what the end of this chapter looks like I have no idea right right well I'm looking forward to
0: I mean also in a lot of cases when I travel to when I travel to larger markets I usually run into people who have just more developed idea like there are some strengths and advantages in those larger markets and and you know being nativist or or like Trying to pretend that we have this hidden gem here in Boise hurts. It does hurts, hurts our ability to get beneficial criticism about what we're missing or yeah. what we need to develop. So, like l- looking out and and getting more guests from other places, I think is really going to be a big benefit to to this conversation.
1: Yeah, one thing that I've I'm again really grateful for is um, in the company that of which I'm the CEO of currently is. Uh, I'm not going to grandstand, but what has been so much fun and as just like the real, you know, we pride ourselves on like having one or two ridiculous asks of, you know, vendors, investors a week. And it's been to watch a team manifest from this area where it's nothing but trying to swing for the fences. And and I mean, that, that part has really kind of renewed my energy and I think what I think entrepreneurship should be like it is really the renegades you know to to really make an impact whether you sell a company or not like I just I've become so much more appreciative of a group groups of people that together are shameless like they just (laughs) you know that they just together act as this you know just this vicious force in in pursuit of something really big and that brings me back to the wall street Bets and I just I feel I guess I'm feeling a lot I'm feeling like an anarchist right now I I'm tapped into the energy. All right, yeah, I'm ready to <laughs> ready to shake it up any way I can. All right, and we will. Yeah. All right. Well, I again this one we're starting it. We started this because we wanted you know this season uh, chapter two is very much on dem- because of demand and that's not like some ridiculous like people are beating our doors down but we got feedback in the break at least i did from people i really respect and and some that i i was a little bit shocked when they said hey what's up with the ready ready or the really really <laughs> or when do we see the next one and again we broke we we are not this does not make sense <laughs> we, we aren't following we aren't promoting anything we're just having discussions and the found that that tapped people caught that and were like these idiots, are. I can listen to them because they're keeping it real. They're looking for nuance. They're having conversations on topics that everyone wants to stay away from because they don't want to be canceled or something. I think, again, I still feel that kind of pirate ship spirit. Yeah. To this one, to the way we've done it. And it doesn't make sense. We broke, we've broken every rule. We have no idea how to scale this, but we do know that on a micro level, people are listening and, you know, how to thirst for more and back to the flywheel spinning. I don't know that we have a, a giant flywheel spinning, but it, it meant something to someone and that's enough for me.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and along those lines, there are a few topics like, you know, burnout is something that yeah. every, time I, every time I bring it up, I hear a story from, from somebody else who has experienced it, who you wouldn't have thought of, you know, and there are big problems, big things to take on. I mean, you're you're big in, in CPG, right? That's, yep. that's where a lot of your background comes from. And so I want to know like why the hell it is so hard to keep to to not use sustainable packaging in those companies and whether it can be a benefit for some companies a value add for their products but you know maybe maybe we'll get there this
1: season maybe we won't well it's I probably could tackle it now it's a it's a matter of cost and availability to to be honest with you at scale not only do a lot of big companies not use it like but I, I think that there is a cost factor that isn't that needs to be factored in to products that you know say they're gonna change the world or something you're right packaging is everything but I also think that there is a the supply for that and access to that is a lot smaller than you think and so the question then becomes why have anything but sustainable packaging And I think that, again, matter of cost, we are getting there. Like we're seeing a lot more companies pushing the level of innovation on that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's the CPG world is tough because there's unlike tech like we it's it's very archaic in some ways. Still, the direct to consumer market has has somewhat changed that. But we still have to go through traditional kingmakers. We still have to go through retail chains. We still have to negotiate margin on different fronts. So. Uh, that's not an excuse. I'm just saying that like it's harder than you think to get there and to do it while being profitable enough to keep the company going.
0: But is it still, so So I recognize the situation, right? Most packaging is built to be inexpensive and to be mass produced. Therefore, if you're starting a company or if you're trying to improve margins and impress stockholders, then like using the unsustainable packaging could be you know could be helpful from a financial perspective but is it is it i mean is it really just is it really just those economies of scale like if we if we just flipped a switch and like converted every plastic bottle company into a company that's like creating a a sustainable alternative to that package and that company was producing you know gigantic runs of packaging for coca-cola would those would that on its own like solve this problem or would that would that create a more negative landscape for for a lot of these companies like is it is it is it just that plastic packaging is the
1: status quo or is there more to it than that i think that there's well i i think that it is the status quo unfortunately and i think you're starting to see changes in that even you know even in the bottled water space you're seeing i'm used you know people using and, and coming along with recycled ocean plastics i, I think that it's a it's a it's a more complicated subject than it sounds. I mean, if you look at the environmental benefits of the packaging, but then the to the manufacturer said packaging creates two or three times the amount of pollution in the air. Like it's a it's something that it really should be unpacked. No no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I I agree, and I think you said something in the in the last season, and you said, I know what the next best step is. Like I know what best practices are and i but i i can't do it if you remember that you saying that like i feel an answer similar to that at this moment like we're going to have you know we really have to have on mass you know more access more access to those materials for younger companies who are having to order in smaller quantities, therefore their price is high.
0: Well, part of part of why I'm asking is, you know, I, I'm wondering if this is also the kind of problem that entrepreneurship can help solve. Of course. Like, is, it, is it a sales problem? Like at one point I, I was kicking around the idea of like starting an MLM to uh, a <laughs> multi-level marketing yeah. company and using that mechanism to get lots of people to sell, uh, sustainable packaging or sustainable packaging and sustainable like utensils to every restaurant in the country, thereby hopefully making that the standard and thereby improving the unit economics that would have that, that currently have them buying cheaper, you know, plastic packaging. Yeah.
1: There's no economic free rides. And what I mean by that is in a younger company if i decide to really invest in that packaging and i in doing so at an early stage i can't provide two jobs because of the the cost difference again it's it's the moral quandary that is entrepreneurship right there's un, unintended consequences at scale for anything right and I, I i just think that that's a nuanced discussion that doesn't seem like it should be so complicated but for an earlier st- stage company, it is now for Coca Cola. Is it there? I would argue that that's a little ridiculous, right? Um, but I-, I think that's a it's a great great one that we would really we could we really need to unpack because and have a and have some a, a subject matter expert or someone that has a lot of experience with the differences in manufacturing. Right. I happen to work with one. Oh yeah. That's that, that's he's that's his superpowers manufacturing, and so. I'm glad that you brought that up, though, because it's it's quite a subject in CPG at this moment. Um, in fact, there's a there's a huge diff, there's a huge crazy innovation wave in CPG of this better for you product that are, you know, essentially you know thumbing their nose back at Coca Cola or Gatorade or all these other companies for putting crap and, and selling it to kids and sugar. You know, is is the, one of the you know craziest drugs possible, and these companies load it with that. And I think. There's a, again, back to the anarchist movement vibe. It's happening in a lot of ways. It's happening in what you eat. It's happening in what you consume online. It's happening in, you know, I'm trying to think where it's not happening. But instead of, I think it's met with, oh my gosh, we get scared of it. Uh, You know, I I guess I, at least in this next season, I really want to embrace anarchy and, and find the inherent good benefits of it and the good impacts of society. Right. And that, my friend, is the really, really. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's it.
0: And so I think that wraps up the the first episode of chapter two of the really, really. Uh, up next, we're going to have Jeff Reynolds on uh, and have a conversation with him.
1: Who knows where that's going to go? I, it will be like, I bet he's like a caged animal. <laughs> he's been outside. He says he's outside of the ecosystem. But having someone who's been through, not that this is his selling point, but has been through YC, who has been here, who has always been contrarian, who has seen the different seasons that this ecosystem has gone through. And again, that's pretty much mirrors other ecosystems. I, again, I, what I respect the most about Jeff is having contrarian viewpoints, saying the things that need to be said and being respected for those things. I think that goes a long way to show you know, what, what he means to this ecosystem. Yeah. So I'm glad he, he accepted the invite and uh, heard he's a radio. He's an old radio guy. That's so right. You never know what tricks he's going to have. We won't even have to tell him how to use the mics. I don't think so. Maybe yeah. he will tell us.
0: Yeah, probably.